Amen. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Nick, and I am the intern here, and I'm so glad that you're here today. We are just a couple days away from Thanksgiving. Is anyone excited about Thanksgiving? See, I, I, I know that when Thanksgiving comes around, a lot of people, um, some people feel really excited about it. Some people feel really stressed about it. Maybe you're really excited about turkey and gravy and mashed potatoes. Maybe you're really stressed about it because you have to cook it, okay? Um, Maybe you're really excited about football. Anybody? All right. Uh, Maybe you're not excited about football because you know your team isn't going to win, okay? Uh, Maybe you're really excited about late-night shopping and deals and all that, and maybe you're really stressed about that. Maybe you're really excited about seeing your in-laws. Maybe you're normal, you know? (laughs) Just kidding, Chris and Kathy, if you're listening online. Just kidding. In, in my family, we, we have this tradition where um, we sit, when we sit down to the Thanksgiving dinner table, um, we'll go around the table and we'll all share uh, what we're thankful for that year. Does anyone else have this tradition in your family? Yeah, a lot of us do. It's pretty common. And it's just good, isn't it? It's good for the soul to just express what you're thankful for. And, and uh, the Bible doesn't miss out on that. God knows that. Look what, what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. It's God's will for us that we would celebrate thanksgiving. And now, when you sit around the table, it's, it's, it's really not that hard to come up with something that, to say that you're thankful for, right? And, and when you're sitting around the table, it's not that hard to, to come up with something that you should be thankful for. But sometimes life gets out of control. And sometimes... Things aren't going super smooth. It can be harder to find something that you feel thankful for. I mean, what about when, when you can't find a reason to sing? What, what about when life feels out of control and it seems like all you can do is worry? What happens to Thanksgiving then? I remember Michelle and I, um, we were on a vacation uh, this past spring with some friends, we actually got a chance to go on a cruise, which isn't something we get to do very often, and so we were super excited about it. And the cool thing about cruises is they stop off at all these different islands, and you can get off and you can do all these fun things like snorkeling um, or go, go to Atlantis or swim with a dolphin or something like that. And they only cost about a bajillion dollars, okay? Um, and so we, we decided that that wasn't for us. We felt like maybe we'd spent enough money already just being on the boat. And so my... My thrifty and savvy wife uh, found about, out about this beach in Nassau. And this beach, it was supposed to be like the top-rated beach in Nassau, and it was free to go on. And we're like, free. Free is great. <laughs> and so we got off the boat, and we walked down the pier, and we found the number 10 bus, which is supposed to take us on a three-minute bus ride right along the coast. And then it drops us off right at the beach. So it's like a buck fifty to spend a whole day at like the perfect beach in NASA. How awesome does that sound, especially today? That sounds great. And so we find the number 10 bus. And I'm kind of a nervous traveler as it is. Um, Normally, uh, I don't need like a plan for what I'm doing like for my Saturday. But if I'm in a foreign country, I want a plan and I want a backup plan, okay? Uh, That's just how I function when I travel. And so just to be sure, I ask the bus driver, hey, Mr. Bus Driver, are you going to such and such a beach? He says, yes, come on board. And so we climb on with our flip-flops and our sunscreen and our towels, and we sit down right in front, and we we take off. And we start driving and driving and driving. And I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, this is way more than three minutes. And uh, and I look over at Michelle. She's like, yeah, this this has been a little while. 
And so Michelle and I were thinking, well, maybe, maybe we can just get off the bus and we can like head back to the bus stop and we can try again. But we noticed that we weren't really in the part of Nassau where you want to get off the bus. You know what I mean? And so we're kind of stuck on this bus. And so I lean up to the bus driver and I say, hey, hey Mr. Bus Driver, um, how much longer until we get to this beach? And he says, oh, it's just a few more minutes. Don't even worry about it. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, are these island minutes or are these real minutes? Because I, I kind of need to know right now. And then the bus driver, he didn't make us feel any more at ease. Our anxiety was rising already, but he didn't make us feel any more at ease when he pulled off onto a residential street. And while sitting in his bus, a guy came up to the window and he just did a drug deal right in the middle of the street. And Michelle and I are like, oh, no, this is not how a vacation is supposed to go. And, and so we're like, we're, we're like freaking out. And, and I'm, I'm like, my heart is beating a million miles an hour. And, and as soon as he's done with his drug deal, um, I, I lean up to the bus driver again. I say, uh, excuse me, sir, uh, how much longer until we get to that beach? And you won't believe what he said to me. He said, don't be afraid. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. <laughs> and I look at Michelle and her eyes are wide and we're just like, they only say that in horror movies. <laughs> this doesn't happen in real life. And so we're 2020 is playing in our head. The, the tourists get lost in Nassau. They get on the wrong bus. And, and we're playing the horror f- film in our head. And then all of a sudden, there it is, the beach. And the beach is perfect. The sand is white. The, the water's clear. And the sun was hot. It was, it was, it was perfect. And so we threw our money at the bus driver and ran off the bus of death and made a beeline for the beach. And, and I'll tell you, when, when we got to the beach and we dug our toes into that white sand, for the life of us, we could not enjoy it. We couldn't enjoy it. We were so stressed out. And we were on this perfect beach where it was supposed to, we were supposed to be joyful and we were supposed to be able to relax and supposed to be grateful for, for this amazing opportunity to be at a beach. And we just couldn't enjoy it. We left after like 45 minutes. We took a cab back. We did not take the bus. (laughs) And isn't it true? Isn't it true that when life gets out of control, when our circumstances get pretty crazy, worry and stress make joy and peace and thanksgiving nearly impossible to experience? Isn't that true? That when life gets out of control, stress and worry make it nearly impossible to be joyful peaceful or thankful. And uh, we all know what life feels like to get out of control. And, and, and maybe you're coming up to some beaches in your life. You're coming up to the beach of Thanksgiving, or you're coming up to the beach of the holidays, and you're supposed to be able to feel joyful. Or you're coming up to a marriage or graduation, or there, there's a time in your life you're at a beach where, where you're supposed to be joyful and thankful, peaceful. But all the stress makes it really hard to actually experience that. Maybe you feel a little out of control when you look at your calendar or you look at your, your to-do list. And you're just like, there are so many things and not enough time. How am I supposed to get this all in? Maybe it's the deadlines. Maybe it's that birthday that's coming up. Or maybe uh, it's those psycho relatives that you're going to be spending the holidays with. And you're like, I would just love to control how this person behaves. But they're just out of control and I cannot control their behavior. And so what do we do? We stress and we worry. Are they going to bring up that subject? Are they going to drink too much again? Are they going to do that again? And we stress and we worry. Some of you are sick or someone you love is sick. 
And you can go to the doctor, but life feels out of control. And for a lot of you, Thanksgiving, it's not going to be a day that reminds you of what you're thankful for. It might be a day that reminds you of what you're not thankful for. For the empty chair that's around the table where someone used to sit. And and you'd have done anything for that to be different. You'd you'd have done anything in your control. But life was out of control. What happens to joy? What happens to peace? And what happens to gratitude? When life gets out of control, and it seems like all we can do is worry. Now, we have three general responses. Okay, There's three general ways that we can react when life gets out of control. And, and those three ways that we react when life gets out of control is to fight, to deny, or to worry. It's to fight or deny or worry. Maybe for you, you're a fighter, and you think to yourself, well, um, life is feeling out of control. I'm going to grab the bull by the horns, and I'm going to wrestle it to the ground. I'm going to get a little control back because you're a fighter. And if you're a denier, maybe you say, oh, you know, that's just the way they are. We're pretty much used to it by now. Or if you're a worrier, you might say, well, what if things never change? What if it's always the same? What if they don't like me? And so we fight or we deny or we worry. And there's a problem with all three of these. None of them work. None of them work. See, if you're a fighter, you're believing a lie. You're believing that when life is truly out of control, that you're able to get some control back. But here's the truth. Always being in control is not always in our control. You ever thought of that? Always being in control? That's not always in our control. Sometimes we don't really have a choice if we're in control or not. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are. Sometimes if you can try and fight, but always being in control is not always in our control. And maybe you're a denier. And you say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But here's the problem with denying. It, it might numb us from the pain of our circumstances. But it also disables us from our joy. This is psychologically proven. That when you, when you deny the things that cause you pain. It also disables you psychologically from being able to experience joy. And so that doesn't, that doesn't get us back to where we want to go. So fighting it doesn't work, and denying it doesn't work, and then it just seems like worry is the only honest option, right? Because if you're fighting, you're not really honest about the fact that things are actually out of control, and if you're denying it, you're not really honest about the fact that you actually have a problem in life. And so it seems like all there is to do is to worry, and this is where most of us live, isn't it? I mean, we live in a culture where we worry. We worry when we have relatively little to worry about. We worry about what we're going to worry about next. That's just, that's just the kind of people that we are. We worry. We worry all the time. And there's some problems with worry, too. And the first problem with worry is that worrying doesn't solve what you're worried about. Isn't that true? What you're worrying about is not solved by, oh my gosh, is the turkey going to burn? What's my mother-in-law going to think? Uh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. That, that doesn't solve what we're worried about. And so worrying has a practical problem. I want to share some quotes with you. There's um, this preacher from the 1800s named Charles Spurgeon. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, and he has this awesome quote. This is worth writing down. Uh, it says, our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows but only empties today of its strengths. Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strengths. And I love that because it's true. 
And you know this from experience. We all know this from experience. And we can actually one-up that with, with Jesus. Sorry, Charles Spurgeon, but Jesus wins. Um, Jesus asked a really poignant question. He was talking to some people that were worried up about possessions, and I think that this question applies to every area of life. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Can any one of you do that? How about if you're rich? How about if you're smart? How about if you're powerful? How about if you're religious? No. The answer is no. That none of us can add a single hour to our life by worrying. And so worrying doesn't work. What we're worried about can't be solved by worrying. The other problem with worrying is this, is that worrying reveals what you value the most. Oh, I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my grandkids. That means you value your kids and you value your grandkids. Oh, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my finances. That means you value your job and you value your finances. That's good. Problem is that it also reveals where you trust God the least. What you worry about reveals where you trust God the least. And so if you have something in your life that you're worried about, it will always be a roadblock in your relationship with God. So we know that fighting it doesn't work, and we know that denying it doesn't work, and we can see that worrying doesn't help what we're worried about, and worrying just reveals where we trust God the least. So what option do we have? Because those are kind of like our three go-to strategies when life gets out of control. What's supposed to happen to joy and peace? gratitude when life gets out of control. Um, 2,000 years ago, there was a, a, a man, if, and if he was, if there was anyone that should have had a life that felt out of control, that was filled with anxiety and stress, no joy, no peace, no thankfulness, it was a guy named Paul. And Paul, he used to be named Saul. And Saul, he was this Jewish leader that hated this Christian movement that was springing up in his part of the world, okay? And he hated it so much that he set out to systematically arrest and kill as many Christians as he could find. And he did it. He did it. Until he met Jesus, the risen Savior. And when he met Jesus, he actually became a Christian. The last guy that you'd ever think to become a Christian, he became a Christian. And then he, he wrote half the New Testament. He planted more churches than anyone in his generation, more than all the disciples. The disciples are forgotten about halfway through Acts, and Paul is, is, is like the rest of the New Testament, okay? Paul, Paul, God got a hold of Paul, and he was like the most influential Christian ever. If you're a Christian today, you can thank God for Paul. But it wasn't all roses for Paul. Paul's body, it bore the marks of torture. He was lashed and flogged more than Jesus was when he was crucified. Paul was shipwrecked on three different occasions. Paul was bitten by snakes. Most of his ministry, he was pretty much dirt poor. And he was thrown in prison over and over and over again for his faith. And it was while he was sitting in prison uh, with with his prison chains on his body that, that he penned this letter to a church that he had planted in northern Greece in Philippi. And he wrote this letter to them because he knew that this church was, they were being persecuted. They were experiencing the same stuff that he was doing to the church before he had met Jesus. And he wanted to write this letter to them to encourage them because for them, life was out of control. And there seemed like there was no room for joy, for peace, for thanksgiving. And Paul writes these words to them, and they're actually some of the most visited words in the Bible 
today. You can check it out online. These, these verses are some of the most popular verses in the Bible today, 2,000 years later. And he said something to them that almost sounds insensitive. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always, to which his, his readers would be like, uh, uh, what? Um, Paul, <laughs> look, Paul, I know we're supposed to be happy about Jesus and everything, but you obviously just don't really know what's going on around here. I mean, you obviously just, no one must have told you that we're being persecuted. No one must have told you that we're all afraid of being tortured every day, and you're telling us to rejoice always in every circumstance. Paul says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. And then he tells them, tells them this. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord who's the source of that joy. Remember, it, it doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. What does it say? It says rejoice in what? The Lord. It says rejoice in the Lord always. I think some Christians, they have it in their mind. They're like, oh, I'm supposed to be really happy about all the bad stuff that's happening in my life. And that's just really not true. There's lots of things in the Bible that say, hey, even though there's bad things happening to you, you can rejoice in the Lord. But there's nothing that says be happy about bad stuff. That's not biblical. It's biblical to rejoice in the Lord who is greater than our circumstances. And that enables us to, to let our gentleness be evident to all. And the Philippians would be like, well, all. Does that include our persecutors? Our crazy boss? Our psycho relatives? All? Let our gentleness be known to all? And Paul says, yeah, all. For the Lord is near. And then he says something to them that probably made the Philippians think that Paul was off his rocker. He said, do not be anxious about, help me out, anything. Anything? Paul, do you even know what's going on in my life? Do not be anxious about Anything. This word anxious means to be divided in your mind. To have so many things that you're thinking about, so many things that you're worried about, that you can't even begin to address them. You know what I mean? When, when there's just so many balls that you're juggling. And Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. And so, okay, Paul, um, we know that denying it isn't a good idea because that's not very honest and that doesn't help. And we know that fighting it when life's truly out of control, you know, I mean, we should do what we can do, but... When life's truly out of control, we can't just fight it and expect to gain control back because it's out of control. And, and now you're saying don't be anxious about anything. So what should we do, Paul? And Paul says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in, help me out, every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In every situation, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. In every situation, if, if you have a request, request it to God. Pray to him. Ask him. But do it with thanksgiving, Paul says. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation. So let me ask you. When he says don't be anxious about anything, does that mean don't be anxious about, like, the really heavy things? Or does that mean don't be anxious about, like, kind of the small things? Don't be anxious about anything, big or small. When he says, in every situation, so does that mean like when life's out of control and the storms are raging and, and we don't know how we're going to make it through? Or does that mean like when we're doing laundry or, or making stuffing? In, in every situation, he says, in every situation, he's saying live life this way. 
Don't just, don't just call back on, oh, I'm not supposed to be anxious because the Bible says it, but I'm feeling anxious, so I'm going to read this verse, and that's going to fix everything. No, no, he said, live life this way. Live, don't just have Thanksgiving be a holiday. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle that if you live in Jesus Christ, you're called to live. It's God's will for you in Christ Jesus to give thanks in all circumstances. So he says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, some of you today, uh, you just need to get honest with God about what's going on in your life. I mean, it, it says it right here that if you have something that you need, God would love to hear from you about it. Are you hurting? Tell him. Are you mad at him? Tell him. Are you lacking something? Tell him that. He wants to hear it. He already knows. He already knows anyway. So you can just get honest with him and then tell him. And then the hard part is that, that Thanksgiving piece right there. What's that mean? That doesn't mean be thankful for the fact that bad stuff is happening. No, no. It means be thankful for the fact that you have a God that will walk through you or walk with you through the bad stuff. Be thankful for the fact that God has grace that he's given to you on the cross. Be thankful for the fact that God has grace for you in the midst of your circumstance. And be thankful for the fact that God has grace for you in the future. And God will not abandon you. And God is more powerful than your circumstance. And God transcends your circumstance. And he's not going to leave you alone. And so we can present our requests to God with thanksgiving. And then look at this promise. Look at what happens when we, when we live life this way. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Do you know those people that are like, like you, you look at their situation in life, you're like, how are they smiling? How, how are they, how do they make it through that? I don't even understand. And, and where do they get that peace that transcends anything we can understand? Or those circumstances? And what will that peace do? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will keep you from anxiousness. It will enable you to experience joy and peace and gratitude. Not in the circumstances, but in the Lord. But in the Lord. Another way of saying what Paul is saying here to the Philippians is that when life gets out of control and it seems like all we can do is worry, instead we can look with gratitude to the one that can carry us through the storm rather than just looking to the storm with worry. We can look with gratitude to the one that can carry us through the storm rather than just ruminating, oh my gosh, there's a storm. Uh, what am I going to do about this storm? And Let's get honest. The storms in life come and they're serious. But what does worrying about it do for us? Instead, we can look with gratitude to the one who can carry you through the storm rather than just looking to the storm with worry. In about 850 B.C., there was a, a man named Jehoshaphat. Everyone say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. And actually, you should have a little Jehoshaphat in there. Um, and it's kind of a fun name to say, right? Well, Jehoshaphat, he found himself to be um, the king of God's people in Judah in about 850 B.C., he also found himself to be the next target for this vast and fast-approaching enemy army that was pretty much in their backyard. And so I imagine that Jehoshaphat's face went pretty white when the messenger came in and told him the news. And Jehoshaphat, he's an honest guy, okay? He, he's a real honest guy, and he knew that he couldn't deny the fact that this, that this army was coming because they were just going to mow right over Jerusalem. So he couldn't deny it. But he also was smart enough to know that, well, it doesn't matter how fast I can muster an army, there's no way that we can beat 
an army like that. They're huge. And we can't just not go to battle. What do we do? And so Jehoshaphat did the only thing that he, that he could do. He prayed. And he got all of Jerusalem together, and he got all of Judea together, and, and, and everyone was praying and fasting to the Lord. And it was a really honest prayer. Look at what Jehoshaphat prayed to God. He told him what he needed. What he needed. He said, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we, look how honest this is, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And then he says something that some of us really need to learn how to say ourselves. We do not know what to do. Seems kind of hopeless, God. We don't know what to do. I wish I did. I wish I could take some control. I wish I could just deny this. But we don't know what to do, Lord. But our eyes are on you. And so after this prayer, Jehoshaphat lines the army up and, and he lines everyone up. And imagine yourself, you're in this army and you're carrying, you know, your pitchfork or something. I don't know what you, what you carry in the army of, of Judah. Um, but you're marching in the army and you, then you see it. This imposing army that spans from horizon to horizon, and you have that eerie feeling that you're not going to make it through this battle. You're not going to make it through this storm. So let's get real. Look at that. Look at that storm. And then Jehoshaphat, he put these worship leaders at the very front of the procession, and uh, they began to sing a song. And this song, it was very, very particular. Look at what they sang. Give Thanks to the Lord. Why? For his love endures forever. No matter what the battle is, no matter what the storm is, no matter what the circumstances are, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. How can you sing, give thanks at a time like that? How can you, how can you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Jehoshaphat knew something. He knew to look with gratitude to the one that could carry them through the storm, rather than just looking to the storm with worry. And so what happened was, as soon as they began singing this song, this imposing army actually began to fight itself. And the Lord had confused this imposing army. And by the time that Jehoshaphat's uh, uh, troops actually got to this army, they had all destroyed themselves. And the Lord had fought the battle for them and gave Jehoshaphat peace on every side. Why? Because he looked with gratitude to the one that could carry him through the storm and allow God to be the one who was in charge of the storm. Allow God to be the one that carried him through. And he gave thanks. And now, for us, that, that doesn't mean that we're never going to have casualties. For, for, that, for us, that doesn't mean that we're never going to have to grieve. But the good news is that we don't have to walk out to battle and worry. We don't have to do it that way. But we can walk with gratitude to the one that can carry us through it rather than just ruminating and worry about the battle. So let me ask you, what's the army that's coming towards you these days? What are you worried about? What, what has you stressed so much 
that all these things in life that you should be enjoying, or the times where you should be having peace, or the times where you should be having thanksgiving, it just seems impossible. It doesn't make any sense to do it. What's, what's stressing you out like that? For some of you, your family is stressing you out. Because you're going to get to Thanksgiving, and you're worried, are they going to say that? Are they going to do this? Are they going to act like that? And you're stressed about that. And you don't even really want to go. But it's in that moment that we actually can look to the one with gratitude. We can thank God that he even wants your family that doesn't deserve gentleness. He wants them to experience his healing. And he probably wants that to happen through you, of all people. And he wants them to know who he is. And he wants to empower you with inner strength to be gentle to all, to let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is... For some of you, you're really worried about your job. You're really stressed out about your job. You're really stressed out about your finances. And thank God that even though that maybe you should be worried, and maybe you should be stressed out, and anybody would be worried and stressed out in those circumstances, thank God that he's not leaving you alone in those circumstances. Thank God that he's the creator of jobs. Thank God that he has the cattle on a thousand hills, and he cares about your situation, and he knows your needs. Thank God that he's not going to leave you alone as you walk through that storm. Uh, For many of you, you think all the time about what others think of you. It stresses you out. Because, I mean, you you just like people. And I like people too. And I want them to like me. And and you're stressed out and worried about what what do they think of me. Thank God. Thank God that he accepts you the way that you are not the way that you should be. Thank God that he loves you in spite of the storms that you've created for your own life. Thank God that he knows the real you. You don't have to pretend with him. And he likes you better than them anyway. Amen. Amen. That is the truth. And some of you are so worried about that. But you have a God that loves you and approves of you and accepts you and and wants to walk with you. And you know what? A lot of us are worried, well, what if no one ever likes me? I'll never have any friends. I'll never be accepted. I'll never be in that group. I'll never have a a spouse. And and God says, no, no, no. I want community for you. Have it with me first, and I will bring you healthy community. Some of you, you're really worried about being a disappointment. And some of you are really worried about being a failure. And maybe some of you have failed in one way or another. And you're worried about it. You're stressed about doing it again. Thank God that Jesus is the God who picks failures up off the ground and dusts them off and says, walk with me. This doesn't have to be about you anymore. Thank God that he's that kind of God. He's the God that walks with failures. And so we don't have to be worried about failure when we have a God who never fails. We have a God that always loves and his love endures forever. We don't have to be worried about that. Some of you are worried because you or someone in your family is sick. I got a text at 2 in the morning last night from a good friend of mine. Someone's really sick. That's hard. That's really hard. Thank God 
that sickness and pain and death are never the end of God's story. Thank God that sickness and pain and death are never the end of God's story. We do not have to be worried. The good news is that we do not have to be worried when we know who is in charge. Because we can look to him with gratitude rather than just looking to the storm with worry. See, Paul knew something. Um, he knew something that was very profound and that, that takes a long time, I think, to learn to actually live this way. He knew uh, something that, that was so profound. Look at this in Philippians 4. It says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. He learned it. He learned how to live this way. It took him time. I learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can look to him with gratitude as I walk through the storm because he's not abandoning me. I can look to him rather than ruminating about the storm that I can't do anything about that's so out of control. See, Paul knew that the secret for making it through the storm, it wasn't, wasn't, oh, I just need to know what to do. And it wasn't, oh, I just need to have the right mindset. It's a person. It's a person. The secret to getting through the storm is not knowing what to do or having the right mindset. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. See, if it's just... If it's just knowing what to do, that's just not honest. Because sometimes we just don't know what to do, and some of us need to admit that. If it's just having the right mindset, the best thing we have is, oh, look on the bright side. But let's get honest with that. That just, it's not honest. Sometimes there's not a bright side. Sometimes there's not. That's not enough. Because the storms of life are real. And there's so much, this dark and broken in this world. And some of it happens to us, and some of it even happens because of us. And God saw this darkness, and he sent his one and only son into it. And not only is he the healer of those that don't deserve healing, and not only is he the lover of those that never deserved to be loved by him, and not only was he the greatest teacher to ever walk the face of the earth, And not only did he live his life perfectly before God and perfectly before men, he was God. He was Jesus Christ. God sent him into the darkness. And and while he was here, walking around in his earthly body, he made a promise. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. It's a promise. It's coming. If you're not in trouble now... You're probably either just coming out of trouble or you're going into trouble. Isn't that the truth? And in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, he says. But take heart. Why? For I've overcome the world, he says. We do not have to be worried about the storms. That's not to deny that they're not serious. Hear me clearly on that. We do not have to be worried about the storms, even the storms that we have created. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died a sinner's 
death. And he took on every storm, no matter how powerful it is. It was put on him at the cross, and he took it on for our sake. And he died a sinner's death, and God raised him from the dead on the third day. And he declared a victory over sin and over death and over the devil and the storms of our life and the, your circumstances, whether it's cancer or whether it's, it's being impoverished, whether it's being abused, whatever your storm is, even if it's just a turkey, <laughs> Jesus took on our storms and he won. Amen. He won. And he declared that victory. Take heart because I have overcome the world. Can, can you just imagine for a second? I mean, imagine if we actually, in the middle of our storms, were able to look with gratitude to the one that won for us. The one that fights the battles for us. Can you imagine if we looked to him rather than looking to the storm with worry? The light that would shine into our darkness? It'd be amazing. Have you met these kind of people that live life this way? Where Thanksgiving just isn't like a holiday, it's how they live their life. They do it because of Jesus. And, and they have this joy that doesn't crumble because of their circumstances. And they have this peace that doesn't crumble under the weight of their circumstances. And we could live like that as a community. And we could have a light that shines into the darkness of this world. And that darkness can never extinguish that light because that's the light of Christ. And we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us walk through the storms. We would have joy for those that don't have joy. We would have peace to serve those that don't have peace. And we would live lives of thanksgiving for those that can't find a reason to sing. So where are you going to look? In the storm. You look at the storm. You're going to fight it, deny it, eventually just worry about it. It's for me, my house. We'll look to the Lord. Not because it's going to fix our circumstances, but because he can carry us through it. Look to the one with gratitude who can carry you through the storm, rather than looking to the storm with worry. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here, and I want to say a quick prayer. So we pray with me. Holy Father, this lands in so many different places. There's so many of us that are hurting. Uh, there's so many of us that are stressed and worried. And it's not just because Thanksgiving's coming up. It's because that's the way life is right now. Or maybe the way that life has been for a long time. And Lord, we just, we just confess right now that we don't know what to do. And we confess that there's truly a problem. And it seems like all we can do is worry. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that even though even though things might not be well in our circumstances, we can truly say, because of you and because of what you've done, that it is well with our souls. Help us to rejoice in you now. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for your deep love because it endures.